Hey, my name's Chuck Lee Master with Team Faith. Place would be with you this morning. Um, before we get going, uh, there's a uh, um, over the summer I did several camps with Fellowship as Christian Athletes, and uh, I think um, Ryan and Jordan and a couple other guys helped me out on those camps. There's going to be a camp down in Honduras. It's a ministry outreach. Um, and we've got t-shirts here for sale today after the service. If you'd like to help out the camp down in Honduras and buy a t-shirt for 20 bucks, that money will go directly to the camp down in Honduras. We saw, um, I didn't get to go to that one last year. It was the inaugural uh, camp. But uh, a lot of people came to know Jesus Christ because of uh, a dirt bike ministry. So if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, be sure to see be sure to see one of us afterwards. So, hey, uh, God, thanks a lot for this morning. Just thanks for the opportunity to be here at the racetrack and give you the first part of our day. Um, you've put this love of racing in our hearts, and we say that, I think, probably every week, but we mean it. We, we just appreciate what you've done for us, uh, not just through your son, Jesus Christ, but in the way that you created us and in the place that you put us in this life. So would you just open our hearts right now to your word and give me the, uh, just pour down your Holy Spirit on me that I'll be able to say the things that you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this morning, I've got right here, if you can see it, I've got this chunk of pavement. You can see this holding in my hand. i got a big old chunk of pavement here. I'll tell you about that in just a little minute. Um, Team Faith, what we do is we use dirt bikes to bring glory to Jesus Christ. We use dirt bikes to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see us here every weekend at GNCC, so um, Team Faith is... is uh, this is a big part of our outreach, a big part of our ministry is coming to the GNCC races. You've probably heard me talk about Arena Cross, where we race. We've got two professional riders. We race on Arena Cross. We do chapel services just like this. We do that on Arena Cross. Another facet of our ministry is freestyle motocross. And uh, we own our own ramps that take off and the landing ramp that you can pull around the country. And we've done shows coast to coast. We've been to Jamaica. We've done, we've done uh, freestyle shows, a lot of freestyle shows. And about 2008, the economy slowed down and people weren't quite as willing to, to spend $10,000 for a freestyle show. But nonetheless, we get contracted every once in a while to jump dirt bikes. And of course, right in the middle of it all, we tell people about Jesus. And so uh, after the last race, uh, where were we? Snowshoe? After Snowshoe, I went home, loaded up the rig, and drove up to Michigan for a freestyle show. And over the years, we've had guys like Kenny Bartram jump for us. Kenny's a sold-out Christian, and he shared his testimony in the middle of the show. One of our uh, former pro riders, Kevin Johnson, won gold at X Games in 2008, and he's a very talented freestyle rider. And uh, he, So Kevin came up to Michigan to jump for us, and we also contracted with Scott Murray. And if you've heard that name before, it's because Scott Murray is the guy that wears all the hockey gear and can do a double backflip. And there's one other guy in the world that can do a double backflip, and his name is Travis Pastrana. Now, Pastrana lands his double backflips about 95% of the time. Scott Murray, about 50% of the time. All right? But he can still do them. And, uh, and, and he's actually a really good freestyle rider, and uh, we didn't contract him for a double backflip show, but we contracted him to come down to Ludington, Michigan, and do a, uh, just a backflip show with Kevin Johnson. And so we did this show, and it was kind of like this, this weather right here, kind of dreary and rainy and drizzly and windy, and it was really hard to do a freestyle show because I could see the bikes in the air. They'd take off, and then a gust of wind would come, and it would move them in the air as they're fully extended in a Superman seat grab, and it was, it was scary for me just being on the ground. But we, we did it, did the best that we could, and I uh, got to share Jesus with people right there at the, uh, on the beach in Ludington, Michigan. Afterwards... I wonder who put this tent up. <laughs> Afterwards, I was talking with Scott Murray. We were just hanging out at his rig, and we were just standing around talking. 
And he reached into his toolbox for something, and he pulled out this chunk of pavement. I said, Scott, what are you doing with a chunk of pavement in your toolbox? He said, I don't know, man. I was just, I parked my rig in Walmart not too long ago, and uh, I got, they had just paved the parking lot, and I got into my truck, and I start driving down the road, get out of the parking lot, driving down the road, and my tires just thump, 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 like I have a flat tire. I didn't know what was going on. I get out, and there's this chunk of pavement wedged into my tire. (laughs) So I dug it out with a screwdriver, and I just threw it back here in the toolbox, and I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I said, well, how much do you want for it? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, how much? Mo- I'll pay you for it. How much do you want for that chunk of pavement? He said, dude, you, you, can, you can have it. He said, but you've got to tell me, why do you want that chunk of pavement? I said, well, I think that this would be a great object lesson for us because in Revelation chapter 21, verse 21, it says that the streets of heaven are paved with gold. And we think that that's really cool, and we think that heaven must have a lot of money in it, but that's not the point. The point is that the most valuable thing on this earth, gold, is nothing but pavement up in heaven. The thing that we spend so much of our time and our energy chasing is just a chunk of pavement. And so as I look at my own life and I look through what is it that I want to pursue in this life, what is it that I spend my time, what are my prayers all about, as a matter of fact? What am I praying for? Am I praying for things? I pray for daily provision. And Jesus, so many times in the Gospels, He says, don't concern yourself with the day-to-day life. Don't concern yourself with food. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Today has enough cares of its own Actually, that comes from Jesus when he was on the sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's early in Jesus' ministry when people are just learning about Jesus. And he's this, he's this traveling rabbi who seems to have so much authority and know what he's talking about. People are coming from all over to listen to him. He's up on this hillside and he delivers what Matthew recorded as the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus starts talking about money. And as I, as I held that chunk of pavement in my hand and I'm thinking about the streets of gold and what is it that I spend my time and my energy, my resources, and my prayers on, I was reminded of this passage in Matthew chapter 6. It says, uh, this is Jesus talking. He says, Don't store up treasures here on the earth where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures instead in heaven where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty and where they will be safe from thieves. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart and your thoughts will also be. And man, that sounds great. You know, that's, that's, a, that's probably a familiar passage for all of us. Is store treasure in heaven, not on this earth. But the problem is, I can't relate to that. How do you do that? What were you talking about, Jesus? I mean, it sounds like a great message, but after I hear it once, it's kind of in one ear, out the next ear, and I'm ready for a nap. Because I just don't I, don't, I don't relate. So, what I want to do this morning is I want to ch- shift our gears just a little bit. And I'm going to read to you a passage from the Old Testament and share with you a story from my own life. And maybe we can connect the dots at the end. About 2,750 years ago, a long time ago, there was a prophet in the nation of Israel. And a prophet is simply someone who had, who had the ear of God. God would speak to a prophet and say, hey, I want you to go tell the king this. I want you to deliver this message to the people. And so most of the time the prophets were, were um, telling people, hey, if you don't straighten up, God's going to send judgment on us. We're going to go into captivity. And in Isaiah's case, he had that message to deliver to the people. But God also told him some very specific things about future events. And Isaiah prophesied much about the coming Messiah. But Isaiah also prophesied about some events that had not happened yet. And even to this day, some of these events haven't happened yet. And so, in the middle of Isaiah's, uh, the book of Isaiah's prophecies, in Isaiah chapter 19, it says this on verse 21. It says, In that day, the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. For the Lord Almighty will say, Blessed be Egypt, my people. 
Now, if you've been around church culture at all, you know the story of the Israelites, how God said, I'm going to make a nation, I'm going to call them my own, they're going to be a peculiar people, I'm going to give them land, I'm going to give them descendants. Through them, the whole nations, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. But when they were just early in the formation of the nation of Israel, they were in slavery in Egypt. And so when God led them out of Egypt, He raised up a guy named Moses, led them through the Red Sea, they're out in the wilderness, and out there in the wilderness, God gives them specific instructions. And God says, you're never, never, and I mean never, return to the nation of Egypt. Egypt is a place that represents slavery. Egypt is a place that is someday going to represent what sin does to people. And I have freed you from that slavery, and you're never to go back there. I don't want you to take wives from Egypt. I don't want you to even buy your horses from Egypt. Never go back to Egypt. And so here, right in the middle of Israel's Old Testament um, uh, growth and their, their, their Old Testament history, right in the middle of it, Isaiah comes along and says, there's going to come a day when God calls Egypt my people. That's an interesting prophecy for 2,750 years ago. As you know, if you've seen anything on the news lately, you've seen Egypt in the news and, there's, uh, and we understand today that Egypt is mostly a Muslim nation, and that's very true. But in Egypt is not all Muslim. There is a large contingent of Christians over in Egypt. But just because they call themselves Christian does not mean that they know who Jesus is. It doesn't mean that they know what the, what the cross represents. If you're Christian in Egypt in, in today's modern time, it simply means that you are not Muslim. And if you are not Muslim, then you are Christian. And if you are Christian, then what you do is you get a little cross tattooed right here on your wrist. And I, I was over in Egypt last year, and I visited a church. And just outside of that Christian church, there was a tattoo parlor. And people were getting the, the, the cross tattooed on their wrist, but they had no idea who Jesus was. So Egypt is still a very dark place, doesn't know much about Jehovah God, Yahweh, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. They don't, they, they, they're really blinded to the truth of who God is and who Jesus was. But there's a small contingent of Christians, real Christians, who know who Jesus is. There's a small contingent over in Egypt. And I don't, I don't know, about five years ago, this small contingent of Christians got together and they said, how can we reach the people in our country with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, in Egypt, soccer is very popular, as it is all the way around the world. Soccer is very popular. But in Egypt, as you might imagine, there's no grass. It is all desert. <laughs> it's all sand and it's all dirt. So what we're standing on here today sometimes is a hassle for us because we've got to cut it, we've got to trim it, sometimes we've got to water it. Man, this would be a huge, huge blessing over in Egypt. Because in all the nation of Egypt, there's no grass to play soccer on, but everybody loves soccer. And so this small contingent of Christians got together and they said, let's buy some land and let's start a soccer camp. And so they got some land to get, and they bought it about 100 miles out in the middle of nowhere. It's 100 miles from anything. And they planted a patch of grass and they irrigated it. And they had a soccer field and they started holding soccer camps over there. And they started using soccer to bring people in so they could tell people about Jesus. And they said, how can we use this resource of this land? How can we use this to reach even more people for Jesus? And they said... Let's have an action sports outreach camp. Let's do stuff like BMX and, and skateboarding. And let's bring in all these action sports. And let's have this uh, festival every year. Let's launch a festival of action sports. And so they brought in um, BMX and bicycle. or <laughs> That is bicycle. They brought in skateboards. They brought in a strongman team that did the demonstration of you know bending steel bars in half and breaking baseball bats. A basketball team that's like the Harlem Globetrotters. And all these action sports, karate, they were all sold out for Jesus. So they would do a demonstration. They would tell people about Jesus. And this action sports festival, basically, started to catch on, and it started to bring some people in. And the, and the people that were running it got together, and they said, you know what, how can we make this even bigger? 
what we need, if we're going to be an action sports festival, you got to have freestyle motocross. So how can we get hold of a Christian freestyle motocross team? And they contacted a sister church in the United States uh, down in Dallas. And they said, hey, we need a freestyle motocross team that loves Jesus. Do you know anybody? And somebody knew somebody that knew somebody. And God was at work. And Team Faith got the call about three years ago. Can you come over to Egypt and do freestyle? We said, yeah, <laughs> we can do that. And so we, we got one of our freestyle riders, Terry Russell, we got him uh, locked and loaded, and we sent him over to Egypt. We shipped his YZ250, the two-stroke, shipped it over to Egypt. And he was going to use this for a freestyle show. Had a metal ramp constructed to our specifications and had a dirt landing built with a bulldozer over there. But when Terry got there, his bike was not there. And as we started chasing it down, it got held up in, in customs. They wouldn't ship the YZ250 two-stroke into that country because they found out the bill of lading said where it was going. And it had Christian graphics on the side of the bike, and we're convinced that that's when they changed the law over in Egypt, that two strokes over 200 cc's are not allowed inside Egypt, which is right. There's two strokes all over the place over there. But because, you know, if God's at work, Satan's also at work, and there was spiritual opposition. And so in all of, all of Egypt, and I'm, I don't know what the number is, there's probably 100 dirt bikes in the entire country of Egypt. And so uh, we hit the ground scrounging trying to figure out what are we going to do so we can do this freestyle show. Found a 2004 CRF450R. Clapped out. I mean, the thing was smoking. The rear rim was cracked. Had to take the, had to take the wheel off and take it to a local welder that you know we couldn't communicate with and just kind of point. And got that thing welded up, and Terry started doing freestyle over there. And, uh, and for what it was, I mean, he, he didn't have much to work with, but it was freestyle motocross. And this was the only place in all of Egypt that anybody could ever go to and see freestyle motocross firsthand. And so word got out the next year, and then last year they said, hey, this festival is really growing. This freestyle motocross thing, is there's, the word is out. It's on YouTube and social media, and people are coming. They want to come and see freestyle motocross. Can you guys maybe bring, step up your game? Can you do anything else with freestyle motocross? I said, you bet. You bet Terry wasn't able to come, so we contracted, We got Kevin Johnson. Said, hey, Kevin, well, let's go to Egypt. We're going to put you, you're our premier freestyle guy. Let's really do a freestyle show over there. We got with Scott Murray and said, hey, Scott, why don't you come to Egypt too? Again, if God's at work, Satan's at work. Scott Murray spent more of his time in an airport and never did make it to Egypt last year. He was stranded in an airport for like three days and never made it to Egypt. Nonetheless, we were there with Kevin Johnson and uh, with having two riders, obviously you need a mechanic, right? <laughs> So I said, I need to go to Egypt. I need to see what's going on here. And with two bikes, two riders, we're going to have some problems. And it's actually a good thing that somebody was there to do uh, the work because the bikes, again, spiritual warfare. And uh, so I was over in Egypt last year for the first time. And I got to see what was going on. And I had heard this, this story. I would heard the, about how this thing was growing. But last year was off the hook. They expanded it from three days to four days. They expanded the festival to four days, and they sold tickets, 10,000 tickets per day for people to come in, and they sent buses out all across the nation of Egypt to bus people in to this festival, and they sold the, pre-sold the 10,000 tickets. So on, on the opening day, 14,000 people showed up, and there was only 10,000 tickets sold, but everybody standing at the gate had a ticket. Counterfeiters had gotten a hold of these tickets and said, wow, this is a way for us to make money, and so they sold fake tickets. And you can tell the difference when they're at the gate, but nonetheless, the people are there. They drove themselves. They figured out a way to get over there themselves and uh, said, man, we don't have enough food. We don't have enough water to feed these people. But if they are here and they want to hear about Jesus, let them in. So we let them in. Nobody went hungry and nobody went thirsty. It was, it was pretty cool. And at 12 o'clock, we did two shows every day. 
We did a 12 o'clock show and a 4 o'clock show. About 11.30, I would roll the, the dirt bike out of the hotel. They actually had a, what they called a hotel. It was actually a, a, like a barracks. But there was a lobby in there, and there was no place to store the dirt bikes away from the public. And because freestyle, because dirt bikes are so popular over there, people have never seen them, never heard them, never touched them. They had to be indoors, out of the way, somewhere. So I just stored them in the lobby. And so about 11.30, I'd roll them down the stairs, uh, out, out the doors and down the stairs, and bump start it just because it was fun to do, and uh, rev it up a little bit, and people would just start, start running. They, wherever they were on that compound, if they could hear that dirt bike fire up, they just came running. And if I didn't put that thing in gear and get out to the soccer field where the freestyle ramp was, I wasn't going to get there because it was so popular. And they just mobbed us. And so, so uh, Kevin Johnson would walk out of the hotel with his gear on and have his helmet under his arm, and he had to have security guards on each side of him. Not armed security guards, but he had to have these big, burly Egyptian guys just so he could get through the crowd. And, of course, we want to we relate with the people, sign autographs and take pictures, whatever. But um, but it was so popular, it had to be what these Hollywood guys go through. And, of course, for us, it wasn't a worship about us. It was about Jesus. So we could care less. We just wanted to relate to the people. When we got out there to the freestyle uh, demonstration area, Kevin started jumping. And Kevin's a talented rider. He's a racer. He's a freestyle rider. And I've seen him do a lot of shows all across the country. I've seen him compete in X Games. I've seen him do backflips. I've seen him do his very, very best. But in Egypt... Who says that God doesn't like freestyle motocross? Because I really believe that the Holy Spirit came down on Kevin at that jump. Because he started whipping, and Kevin has always had good whips. He's always been just incredible. I see him winning an arena cross race, and he does a nice whip. I'm like, man, he could compete in X Games with that whip. In Egypt, he started whipping, and I mean whipping. Wheels to the sky, complete inverted whips like he's never done before in all of his life. And it was so cool. Thousands of people lined up on this grass field and on the soccer field watching freestyle motocross. Excuse me, it's freestyle motocross in person, live action for the first time in their lives, and they were going nuts. And it was crazy. And in the middle of the show, Kevin would stop, we'd get up on top of the landing ramp, he'd get up there, and through an interpreter, he would share his story about what Jesus had done in his life and what a difference God had made in his life. And then at the end of the day, when all the action sports was done, everything was put away, they had this arena on this compound. And it was kind of dug into a hole, and it had tent sides and a tent roof. And uh, where it was dug down, they, they poured slab concrete steps. And that's where people would sit. They had a bunch of folding chairs down in the middle. And uh, for us here in the United States, it would be a big arena. It would seat about 10,000, or I'm sorry, about 5,000 people. In Egypt, it seated 10,000 people. And like I said, every day there was 12 to 14,000 people there. So that stadium would fill up. People would be all along their walls on the outside. And on the first day that we were there, uh, the, the service that night, I went in there and people were just singing and clapping and praising Jesus and Yeshua and it was really, really cool. It was beautiful music. I couldn't understand the words, but you could just sense that the Holy Spirit was there and that something was happening. Pastor Sami got up. <clears throat> we, we call him Sammy here in America. But over there, it was Pastor Sami. He was a fellow Egyptian, but he was a talented speaker, a gifted speaker. And through an interpreter, I could hear what he was talking about. He's talking about Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua. He's preaching from Isaiah. He preached for about an hour after we'd already sung songs for about an hour. So it was about this two-hour service. Nobody got up. Nobody left. Nobody was restless. Every, every eye was on the stage up front. And, uh, and at the end of it all, we stood up and we started singing another worship song. And as we're standing, Pastor Same comes back out on the stage and he says, Hey, I just want to give you guys an opportunity. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then today's the day that you can do that. If you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you just remain standing where you are? And if you've already done this or you're not interested in this, just go ahead and have a seat. 
about 3,000 of us sat down. About a third of the stadium sat down. So about 7,000 people were standing up. And Pastor Sami says, I, I don't think you understood what I was saying there. I was saying that if you want to receive Jesus, if you've never done this before, then stay standing. And nobody moved. He said, I, think, I don't think you're understanding what I'm saying here. I want everybody to sit. And as soon as he said sit, everybody sat. So they could understand him. They could hear him. Everybody sits. He says, all right, we're going to do this a different way. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, and today's the day that you want to make Him the Lord of your life, would you just stand right where you are? 7,000 people stood back up to accept Jesus Christ. And it was like that every single night. Thousands and thousands of people coming to know Jesus from the nation of Egypt. And I just look at this in, in Isaiah. It says, the, uh, in that day, the Lord will make Himself known to the Egyptians. And in some way, some form or fashion, I got to be a part of that 2,750-year-old prophecy. I got to be a small part of that starting to come true. I got to see that prophecy come true before my very eyes. Something that I could have never, ever imagined. And so as we're, as we're looking today, what is it that we're chasing? Are we chasing chunks of pavement? You know, this whole thing out here, GNCC racing, God's put it in our hearts to do it. He's put this love of dirt bikes in our hearts. But what are we chasing? Are we putting His desires first? Or are we putting our own desires first? You see, Isaiah wrote that 2,700 years ago. And Isaiah had no idea what a dirt bike was. Isaiah had no idea how God could rally all the Egyptians to want to be in one place at one time so that he could share the love of Jesus Christ with them. But about 20 years ago, God gave a vision to a man named Brian O'Rourke who founded this ministry at Team Faith. Uh, uh, about 20 years ago, Brian, he was a mess. He'd actually been a, a lead singer in an 80s band, a big old hair band, metal band. And, uh, and, and they were right on the cusp of getting a contract, getting a, a record contract, uh, about to make it big. And then Nirvana happened. And that changed the whole music scene. And uh, metal bands were no longer popular. And so he came back home to Knoxville, started spinning uh, records at a, at a strip club. He was a DJ at a strip club. And he was miserable and he was empty and, and he just he had no purpose in life. And finally somebody pulled him aside and said, hey, have you given Jesus a try? He's like, no, I haven't tried Jesus, but I'll try anything. I'll try Jesus. He accepted Jesus Christ into his life, and the next day he gave his notice at a strip club and said, I'm not going to be here in two weeks. He was sitting on his couch not long after that, and he was watching ESPN 2. He was watching the, the world finals of watercraft racing on, on ESPN. And at that time, there was one particular kid that was winning all the time, about 16 years old, but he was cocky and arrogant, and took the microphone and said, man, I'm really the best racer out there, and just really gave himself the glory. And Brian on his couch said, God... What if he used that platform to give you the glory? And God said, well, go lead him to Jesus. And Brian did. He loaded up his S10 pickup truck and he started driving around to all the world, uh, to all the watercraft races. He started sleeping in the back of his S10. It took him a year of doing that before he even got to meet this kid and tell this kid about Jesus. It took another year before that kid finally accepted Jesus. But that kid did accept Jesus, and, and that kid and Brian, the new Christian, who barely knew anything about God, except that he was supposed to go and talk to this kid, they got baptized together at Lake Havasu, two years after Brian had been sitting on his couch. At that point, Brian thought, well, I'm done. I can go home, I can get a job that pays a little bit of money, I can go on with my life, and this will be good. And as he's getting ready to leave, he's loading up his truck, getting ready to drive home, uh, the racer said, hey, we'll see you at the next round, right? Brian's like, no, man, I'm done. My job is done. Like, no, you can't do that. You've been here for two years saying prayers with us on the start line. You've been here for two years doing little devotional Bible studies that only three people attend, but we want you here. And Team Faith was born. 
2001, Brian uh, caught the vision to go into arena cross racing with dirt bikes. So we made the transition from watercraft into dirt bike racing in 2001. In 2004, downtown St. Louis, it was after a supercross race. Arena cross was done. The, the small team that we had at that time had gone supercross racing, didn't do very good. It was a miserable night for Team Faith at, at the St. Louis arena or at the St. Louis Supercross, and uh, it took a long time to load up the bus. The bus is finally loaded up, heading out of town, heading down through downtown St. Louis. They pass the bar where the after party's at, where everybody else is out there getting drunk. And a, a little ways past the bar, they see somebody passed out on the sidewalk. And as they're driving by, they say, "Hey, isn't that Kevin Johnson?" They said, sure enough, that's Kevin Johnson, racer Kevin Johnson. They stopped the bus. Hey, Kevin, what are you doing? He said, oh, I got kicked out of the bar. I'm just going to take a nap. I said, Kevin, you can't take a nap right there. It's 20 degrees. You'll freeze to death. Get in the bus. We'll take you where you need to go. And it was right after that, that not too long after that, that Kevin surrendered his life to Jesus Christ and said, all right, God, I'm tired of fighting you. I'll do whatever it is that you want me to do. 2006, a stubborn and rebellious man that you're looking at right now, surrendered his life to Jesus Christ and said, I'm so tired of fighting you and doing things my own way. At the time, I had been chasing a whole bunch of pavement. And I had opened up a small business and I had gone broke. Out of nine months that it was open, it had only broke even once. And the other eight months, it just sucked money. And I was so far in debt. I had a brand new baby that I wasn't married to his mom. Uh, I was an alcoholic. I mean, my life was a mess. And I finally said, all right, God, I am so tired of fighting you. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do in my life. Six years after that event, God took those three men, the DJ in his trip club, the drunk on the street, and, and the stubborn and rebellious man. He took the three of them together, and he says, all right, you guys that I put a love for dirt bikes in your heart, you guys that were a mess until you surrendered your lives to me, I have a mission for you. Isaiah chapter 19, Egypt, my people. I'm starting to bring that to fruition. And you're my boys. I'm going to send you to Egypt. You ride your dirt bike so I can tell them about my son and what he did for them. And we went over to Egypt and saw things. We saw prophecy coming true right before our very eyes. And so the question today is, Jesus, when you're talking about lay up treasure in heaven, not on this earth, how do you do that? Jesus goes on. And he keeps talking. The next thing he talks about is a good eye and a bad eye, which is a weird way of talking in today's context. But back then they understood it. It's how do you see life? With, with a good eye, do you see that God's grace is abundant and all around you? Or with your bad eye, do you see that that guy has a better toy hauler than you? That that guy is so much more talented than you on a dirt bike? With your bad eye, are you seeing what you don't have? Or with your good eye, are you surrendering yourself to God and saying, God, I want your very best in my life, and I don't care about the chunk of pavement. I want what you want in my life, and I don't know what that means, but I'll be obedient to what it is that you have for me, and I'll take a step of faith, and I'll do what you tell me to do. And then God says, all right. I can work with that. And Jesus says, you can't have it both ways. You can't serve God and man at the same time. It's one or it's the other. And for the three of us, we're nothing special, man. We're just, we're just sinners doing the best that we can, but surrender to God and saying, God, would you do with us what you will? And does that mean that there's treasure in heaven? I don't know. I'll leave that up to God. But I want to challenge you that God has not called anybody here to average and ordinary. Nobody here listening to me has ever been called to average and ordinary. You know how we get to average and ordinary? It's by this right here. It's by chasing after pavement. The streets in heaven are lined up with gold. The things that we value the most on this earth are the least valued in heaven. And God's not called you to chase after pavement. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Just thank you for the people that are gathered here. We're looking forward to a great day of racing. But as we go out there and we do what you've gifted us to do, and we, get, we do what you've put in our hearts to do, may we just be mindful that you're God of all things, God of this race, you're the God of this earth, you are the God of our hearts. Would you show us the areas 
in our life that we're chasing after pavement. And would you just break us and mold us to use us for your purpose and eternal purpose to be more than who we are today. We love you so much, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you so much. And uh, if you'd like to buy a shirt to help out uh, the Honduras ministry with FCA, uh, just come on up here and see me. Thanks a lot. We also like to thank the love offer for brother. <coughs> and I'd like to borrow a hat.